and welcome to Soloish, a Washington Post podcast about being unmarried but far from alone. I'm your host, Lisa Bonos, and today we're going to talk about matchmaking. Do you ever have those married friends who try to set you up and you come away wondering, what were they thinking? The only thing we have in common is that we're both single. It's not enough. Or maybe you are that married friend who likes to meddle in your single friend's love lives. Either way, we've got some good discussions today about matchmaking done well and poorly and what makes it work. Today, I'll be bringing in Christina Antonidas, who's a matchmaker for Date Lab, a popular Washington Post feature where we bring in local couples, send them out on first dates, and then we interview them afterward and readers read all about it in the Washington Post. Christina and I talk about how kind of what matters the most is finding two people that have similar outlooks on life. And then we'll chat with Paul Carrick Brunson, who is a professional matchmaker, author, and TV host. One thing I've always found interesting about Paul's matchmaking is how he talks with clients, friends, family, exes, when he's trying to figure out how to find a good match for them. And another thing that we ended up talking about is that we're all kind of matchmakers these days with apps like Tinder and Hinge and showing singles that they have mutual friends before they're even a match. That can sort of influence who's swiping right or left as well. So we'll talk about, you know, what to do when a friend asks you, hey, what about so-and-so? First up, let's chat with Christina. In the 10 years that Date Lab has been around, the feature has sent out 400 couples on dates, yielding four marriages. And if you're not a Date Lab reader, you should become one. It's a really fun read, especially when the dates go very poorly or very well. Now, Christina has been involved with Date Lab for its entire time and as a matchmaker for the past seven or eight years. Now, Christina, what have you learned from setting up all these strangers on dates? First of all, know that it it's, it's hard. Um, that's one of the it's big hard lessons. to be successful. It's hard to be successful. Yeah. And that's one of the lessons I think that's kind of the biggest overarching lesson that we've learned in Date Lab is that um, to get people from a first date to a second date and then even to a relationship is really hard. A lot of things have to line up. Uh, they both have to feel attraction. Mm-hmm. It's challenging. But then as far as what, what you should think about, I do think, you know, thinking about whether the people will, will have a an initial kind of physical attraction is a big part of it. Um, and then also and trying that's to, hard to know as an outsider, so right? Like, you can say what your type is, but so much of that also comes off of the other person's energy and... Yeah, uh, very much so. And people sometimes say what their type is, and then that's not really accurate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or or they're, if they are open-minded, they might have a type, but then they meet someone who doesn't match their yeah. physical type, and they're still attracted. Yeah. So definitely, um, that is something that's really hard to gauge, but I still try to do it. So in the couples that have worked out, did you match make any of those four marriages? So I did. I can't, I don't remember how many, Okay. Um, but I know, I believe there were two at least that I did. And I know there was actually, I know there was one that I did not. And in those two, do you remember thinking like, oh, this couple's going to really hit it off? Or are you so jaded at this point that you're kind of like, well, we'll see what happens. No, no, I'm so not jaded. Okay. I'm so excited. Okay. It's ridiculous. Because you're not actually out there dating yourself. That's what it is. <laughs> I'm married, so I don't know. But yeah, I still get really excited and I still think they're totally going to hit it off. Um, so I can say the one couple that got married, I made that match. And I remember that the guy had sent in a picture that was him across a gym. He was like in a school gym. Okay. I could not see his face at all. Aww. 
So there was a big question mark. As so to not what a he great picture. Like. Yeah. yeah. But in the end, I decided to go for it. So what did they have in common? They were both in education, um, so they had a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. But also, they're both just really upbeat people, really just genuinely nice people. Um, she, I think she had described her dream date as adorable, mm-hmm. which he seemed to be, even though I couldn't see his yeah. face. Um, yeah. The funny thing is, when I met him later, um, he has these just amazing blue eyes. Yeah. He did seem like her type physically when yeah. I actually saw him. Yeah. The, the, those two, they connected because they had some, they had a, some education. education in common. Yeah. Um, and also just, I think their personalities were similar. On couples that were really like a bad match for each other. I mean, they're great to read about. <laughs> those are my fault. I feel like those are my fault. Usually it's just a bad match. And often it's because there are things that we just didn't know. Mm-hmm. So we have one couple that was an older couple. Um, and they had both said in their questionnaires that they love horses. So, you know, they didn't have a lot else in common, but I thought, okay. But that's such a unique interest that you would think that, exactly. you know, they would connect yeah. over that. So I was kind of, you know, okay, they both love horses. So they go out, and it turned out, and we didn't know this, obviously, but it turned out that when she said, I love horses, she meant um, dressage. She does dressage. Uh-huh. Jump over things. Yeah. And when he said, I love horses, he meant, like, I just love horses. <laughs> he didn't know what dressage was. It was just completely two different worlds. And I think there were other things that turned her off, but she was the one who ended up, um, I think after the salad course, she actually left. Left. Ooh. She said she was going to leave. To leave yeah. a free dinner. So that was a pretty big disaster. <laughs> that you're going to have to answer for in the Washington Post later. More importantly, know. right. That's going to be yeah. in print. So again, it's things that you just couldn't really yeah. know yeah. from a questionnaire. Um, I talk to a lot of singles that whenever I bring up date lab or being set up they're kind of antsy about it or anxious about it um probably about you know showing up in the washington post but also if you're asking a friend to set you up i think there's potentially a level of desperation that it might signal what would you say to people who don't feel great about the idea about putting their love life in the hands of somebody else yeah i would say um if you're putting your love life in the hands of your friends i i do think that's a pretty good risk to take mm-hmm. uh, you know you, obviously if you trust your friends yeah. but I think that's a pretty good risk to take is it a good risk to take with the post um, we definitely do try to make good matches and so you know and I take that pretty seriously yeah. I definitely do not try for train wrecks um, so but it's but but it's not for date labs not for everyone and yeah. I think blind dates are not for everyone yeah. um, you know date lab because it's going to be in print and so some mm-hmm. people just are not going to be comfortable with that yeah. Um, but blind dates too, I think. There's a certain, you know, I think it's not everybody will be comfortable with that. And, yeah. And that's okay. I mean, it is so different from uh, online dating where you can get so much information about someone right. ahead of time and you know what they look like. You might even be able to look them up on social media and see if you have friends in common. But I think it's kind of like old fashioned and refreshing that you don't have all that information sometimes. Well, yeah, I've thought about that a lot, actually. I do think. Um, the thing you miss out on when you have so much information and you're able to make a choice based on, you know, so many different things is that you you probably rule a lot of people out yeah. that could potentially be a great match. And we've seen that many times in Date Lab where there was something, a question mark for me as the matchmaker saying, well, she really likes guys who do X and he doesn't. Is it going to be a match? Or, you know. Um, and the, then it working out. 
And then it working out. Yeah. Or yeah, just that they found something else that they connected yeah. over. So I think, you know, you can rule out too many people. And, and that's a bad thing. You know, everybody, I think, goes into dating with, they have a checklist in their head, right? And they have their, their um, deal breakers and they have a few must-haves. The thing that I've found with the date labbers who are most happy and who are most likely to have a good match is that their list is really small, right? So I think that's something to think about. Yeah. Are you ruling out people for things that really matter? Or, um, or should you, you know... Maybe give them a chance. Let's talk about deal breakers for a second. This is something that we've explored on the podcast before. When someone applies to Date Lab, do they list their deal breakers? They do. We have a we have a specific you know section for that. And do you ever ignore those for someone? I think if it's really petty. (laughs) Oh well, I try very hard not to um, ignore deal breakers that seem valid deal breakers. You know, what's a valid deal breaker? Well, just a matter of um, if someone says. You know, I've dated a lot of shorter men in my life, and I just have found that I am not attracted to shorter men. So, mm-hmm. like, I really, or if they, sometimes they'll they'll even say, you know, I'm really tall, and I feel awkward when I am yeah. with someone who's shorter than me. Yeah. So, I really don't want to date someone shorter. Yeah. And so, I there's no point in sending them out. I wish that yeah. that wasn't a deal breaker, yeah. basically, but yeah. it is. Yeah. So for them, so I think it's valid. You know, if, if but they the only way to get past a deal breaker sometimes is to be attracted to somebody who has one of those qualities, right? Like I used to say that baldness was a deal breaker, and then have been attracted to people who are bald. And like short was never really a thing for me, especially because I'm not all that tall. And I, I think like my first real boyfriend was like my height, and so I stopped like worrying about height so much. So I don't know. Do you ever feel like you need to? push them on some of those deal breakers? Yeah, I think a little bit. Sometimes they'll say I, I like a tall guy and I'm, I'm in my mind being very flexible with, with what <laughs> tall, tall means. Yeah. You know, if it's taller than them, then that's, yeah. that's tall. Um, but you know, some, some things I just think if they think it's a deal breaker, it's just not going to be a good date. And that's not really great for anyone of us, date lab or the daters themselves. Yeah. So I try not to violate those, but I think it, that's just that specific question. Um, sometimes people will say that their type is a certain thing, and I will go, um, I will go off that. I will go off type. Christina, if you were going to set up two friends that were not not part of Day Lab or anything, what would you think about when you're putting just two single friends together? What do you need more than just being single? I would definitely try to match them up on what they say their type is, but I might. Um, I might push that a little bit. I might go a little bit off type if I thought there were enough other things to make it a compelling match. So mm-hmm. if they had something really strong in common um, that I thought the personality match there would be uh, so good that it might override this other thing. But I don't think I wouldn't go too far off type. Yeah. So, you know, if they said I like a tall, tall, dark and handsome and the guy sort of tall, blonde, and handsome, <laughs> um, I would definitely do that. Uh, if they said tall, dark, and handsome, and he's short, and I, I don't know, bl- blonde, and not so handsome. <laughs> so two out of three. Yeah. Basically. Right. I would yeah. do my best to stick as close to their type as possible. But if there were a lot of things in common, I'd feel a little more comfortable going off type somewhat. Yeah. And now you're not single. Married. I'm married, yes. And I met my husband on a blind date. You did? I did. What? Ooh, who set you up? So two friends. He, a friend that um, 
a friend of mine worked with a friend of his. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they got together and thought we would be a good match. And why did they think that? They um, Actually, it was nothing. It was really just that we were both single. Really? Honestly, Which there was is... nothing. And when my friend emailed him and said, do you want to go out with my friend? She said, she's single and she lives near where you work. Oh, so convenience. So that was Proximity. the only, yeah, that was the, <laughs> do you want to go out with her? And he said, sure. <laughs> so he really didn't know anything about me. Uh-huh. He didn't see a picture. I didn't see a picture of him. And I when was this? I just knew very little. So this was two, uh, it must have been 2000. What, you must have had something in common other than working near each other. Right. So we did, uh, but I think for us it was more outlook on life type thing. That's hard to know. Which has been a really good base for a marriage to, you know, honestly. Yeah. (laughs) So that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. What have you learned about just daters in general from matching people up for so many years? Um, You know, I think most people that agree to go on a blind date do show up uh, pretty ready to have a good time, Mm -hmm. even if they're not going to meet the love of their life. Most, not all. <laughs> we yeah. do have some people who don't, but usually. So I think I've learned that about people who are willing to go on blind dates. That mm-hmm. might tell you something about their mm-hmm. personality. Um, and then, you know, just about the way people interact. I think most of our daters and probably most people on blind dates and on dates in general, they know within the first few seconds well, if there's, there's a kind chance. of a chance. Yeah. And then by the end of the, our dates usually last you know, two and a half or three hours. By the end of that three hours, they definitely know. In the days that follow, they might say, oh, I was just too busy to get together. But yeah. really... <laughs> like, if you are interested, you if you, you make the time exactly. for it. Yeah. If you really wanted to see that person again, you, you, you most certainly would. So if you are going to go to the Washington Post to set you up, you could hire a professional like Paul Carrick Brunson, who's a matchmaker, author, and TV host not to mention devoted father and dad. Welcome to the podcast, Paul. It is a pleasure to be speaking with you. I know you do lots of research when you're matchmaking for a client. What role does someone's romantic past play when you're trying to find somebody for their future? Everything. Everything. You know, I uh, a former career of mine is I was both an investment banker mm-hmm. and I was a research analyst. So, you know, data and numbers were my friend. And what I always found is that, you know, you look at the history of something, it's very indicative of, of, of the future of that thing. And so when I finally got into matchmaking in uh, 2008, one of the first things that we did is we started looking at the history of that person. So hmm. all of the relationships that they've had. So the relationships that they had with their parents, right? The relationships hmm. that they've had with their siblings, the yeah. relationships they had with their colleagues. Yeah. And we, we found that to be very powerful. And it was just another data set that we had to now, you know, now, now help to, uh, to optimize that person in dating. And so if I were to say, here's the numbers of 10 emotionally unavailable men that I've dated <laughs> in the past, would you then go out and find me someone who's like just as unavailable? Because that seems to be like what I may like. How do you improve upon someone's past? So, so the key there is, so you, you just suggested 10 unavailable, you know, uh, unavailable emotional men who, uh, yeah. who you've dated, right? Uh, yeah. But we're not specifically talking to your exes. I think that's okay. very important is that we're talking to everyone. So I just mentioned, you know, we're oh, talking yeah, to yeah, yeah. you know, we're talking to your brother and sister. We're talking to, you know, your colleagues. We're talking to 
people in your life. It's it's very similar to a 360 analysis or a 360 review that you get right at the mm-hmm. end of the year. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we do this is because at the end of the day, we all have a brand, right? Our brand, in, in a sense, is a reputation. You know, mm-hmm. it's what we say when we can't say anything, and we all have a brand. But the most important thing to remember is that you never say what your brand is. It's only what other people say your brand is. Uh-huh. And so in order to best understand who this person is, who you are, for example, it would be smart for me to go ask everyone around you. Yeah. And that will give me the most authentic look at who you actually are. What sort of insight do you get from these other people in someone's life? The, the number one thing you get is their values. Mm-hmm. You know, values, in my opinion, are the most critical matching element to to uh, to a significant other, you know, even in a business relationship, you know, even in a social relationship, it's it's values. And what's interesting is that we'll all profess what our values are. Yeah. So I go to church every Sunday and Bible study every Wednesday. So, you know, I'm a I'm 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 all about Christianity. But, yeah. it, but at the end of the day, it, that's just lip service. Values is about action. It's about what we do, especially what we do in times of adversity. And so values is probably the number one data point that we get when we go out and talk to friends, families, previous boyfriends, girlfriends, that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. For listeners out there who might like to meddle in their friends (laughs) or siblings' love lives, how do you blend what someone says they're looking for with what you think might be good for them? Well, you you know, the first thing that we could do, and I believe that, by the way, I think everyone could be a matchmaker, right? Mm -hmm. There's there's no special sauce to matchmaking, (laughs) quite honestly, you know? And I say that, you know, being in the business for many years, but there really isn't. The the key is to know this. The key is to know what your brand is, right? So who you are, and then to know uh, who you actually want to be, right? And what I mean by that is, your brand, once again, is, is what everyone else says you are. Yeah. And so you want to identify what that is. So if you're listening, you don't need a matchmaker or some HR specialist to go out and conduct a 360 analysis for you. Yeah. You can actually do that yourself. How do you do that? There's a couple ways. One is that you can actually Google yourself. Just Google yourself and look at the images, look at what comes up, the data points. You know, what I find to be fascinating is that simply by looking at someone's Instagram account, you know, mm-hmm. I can look at the last 10 pictures and get a really good feel of what mm. you value based on yeah. that, you know. So, yeah. so so give yourself, you know, this objective look right online. Another thing that you could do is you could sit people down, your friends and family down at a kitchen table over, you know, beer and pizza and mm-hmm. say, hey, guys, you know, what do you think? You know, what do I present? You know, what is yeah. it? And, but the key is that you've got to shut your mouth, <laughs> not <laughs> respond to them, right? yeah. and just yeah. listen to what they have to say, you know, or you can go out and get a professional and do this, but you want to really ascertain what that reputation is, who you are. And then you compare that against who you believe you are, you know, who, you know, what you believe your values are. And then you begin to mine the gap, right? You begin to try Mm -hmm. to move them and how you move that thought is you just convey things differently. Another thing that I sort of have been thinking about recently is that with online dating where you can see mutual friends on Tinder or Hinge or any of these dating apps, uh, it almost makes matchmakers out of all of us. (laughs) (laughs) I had a friend 
message me today on Facebook and say, like, tell me about so-and-so. I have a date with him tonight, and it seems that you guys know each other. And I was like, oh, well, I actually dated, I dated him for two months. <laughs> I wanted to let her make her own first impression of him. She just wanted to know, like, you know, should I avoid this this man at all costs? And I said, certainly not. When friends or family are, are matchmaking for someone, how much should you tell someone ahead of time, and how much... Do you let that person make their own first impression? Yeah, it, it, it's so tough, right? Because you're right. Yeah. There's all this mutual friend thing. And, you know, when you really distill down the numbers, we still, so the number one source of meeting your significant other is still mm-hmm. through friends and family, yeah. right? Some people will argue, well, it's really online, but technically it's through friends and family using online as a tool, you know? Facebook. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Facebook, yeah. for example. So it's still friends and family. Now, why is that? The reason why is goes back to values, right? Our friends mm-hmm. and family typically have the same values. They typically have the same social graph. And so, therefore, mm-hmm. getting a recommendation from them is always higher, right? But yeah. to answer your question in terms of, like, what information should you give, what, what, what you shouldn't, I always say this, is that you can literally sway someone towards or against based on just a few words, Right. Hmm. I see it all the time with matchmaking before yeah. introducing a client. I could say the right. I know actually the words to say yeah. and that it'll make the person, you know, you know, super compelling or not. So the key is if you think the person that they're going to meet is just, you know, terrible, you know, is disgusting, yeah. is all those things. Then you say everything you can to prevent them from meeting because that's, <laughs> that's your girl. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. your boy. You, you want to protect them but if you are if you think that the person is decent right and Mm -hmm. you still have opinion against them right for positive or not but you still think they're decent then you don't say anything you let them Mm -hmm. make up that first impression because otherwise what will happen is your friend will walk into the situation and already have this pov you know already have this perspective and you don't want that yeah when i'm dating myself and i see that some, I have lots of mutual friends with someone. I try not to ask as well because I'd like to make my own first impression. But obviously, if I have two mutual friends, I might not know whether that means anything. If there are 20, I'm like, well, this person, we should, we should have met already, right? Yeah, I was like, what's up? Because, <laughs> you know what the problem, though, is like now everybody racks up friends online. I'm like, really? What is a friend? Online? I know. Exactly. <laughs> what are the things not to say then? Like, you know, you always hear so-and-so has a great personality and that's like, oof, you know, it means they're not attractive, right? Like sort of when people are setting each other up either directly meaning to or indirectly and answering those questions about about their friends or connections, you know, what, what are the things not to say? You know, so this is going to sound like I am all about values, but Lisa, mm-hmm. guess what? I'm all <laughs> about values. And what I mean by that is it actually goes back to your values. And, and this is what I mean, is that your values decide whether or not you believe, and everyone listening, whether or not we believe something is good or bad. So you, you know all the time you hear people say, oh, I'm looking for a good guy. I want a good man, right? Or I'm looking for a what good... Is that, a good and what does that mean? <laughs> what does that right? mean? You know what it yeah. means? It means anyone who actually shares your values. Because things that fall outside of your values, right, outside of things that you believe in, you typically think that they're not as good as the things that you believe in. So they're bad, right? And yeah. so, for example, you know, ambition. You know, we live in D.C. Everybody's yeah. about ambition, you know, yeah. see, right? Or they think they're about ambition, right? So if... If I am super ambitious, if that truly is a value of mine, 
And then you tell me that the person that I'm meeting, oh, you know what? He's he you know, he works part time. And what does he do on his off time? Oh, you know, what? He, he's in the gym all the time. You know, he works part time and he's in the gym all the time. I'm already thinking, oh, man, this guy's not even ambitious. He's not out here, you know, hitting 100 hours a week. You know, he, he's ambitious about his body. He's, well, well, he's <laughs> yeah, he's ambitious about about his body. But, you know, he's he's not hustling. You know, he's mm-hmm. not making any money. He, so long story short is that that would probably be a bad thing to say to someone who's ambitious. So yeah. it's, if you, if you want to talk someone up. Right. Mm-hmm. You you figure out what their values are. Yeah. And then you feed them things that would fall in line with their values and they'll immediately think that's the greatest person on the planet. I remember back in college I once tried to match up a friend of mine who is like a fervent Democrat with a Republican because <laughs> I thought like, well they both really like politics. And this is not in DC, right? So not a in in Los Angeles where not everyone is clued into what's going on politically and they hated each other which you might have expected but i thought like maybe that would give them some fervent energy to to connect over um do you ever find couples where you think they're real opposites but it works i always say and i was laughing when you just told that story because opposites attract and then they attack it's always (laughs) the way it is right because you know at the end of the day uh, what's different, what's unique is sexy to us, you know, because mm-hmm. it's foreign to us. It's something that we've never had. And so that makes it, you know, interesting. But at the end of the day, what ends up happening is that it's hard to coexist with someone who sees things and operates differently than the, than the way that we do. And mm-hmm. so that's the reason why when you look at the majority of marriages, and I don't even, I don't know, you know, I'd love to find out, uh, I'm going to have to figure out what the name of this, uh, this survey was, but I saw this really interesting survey that showed that the vast majority of people who have been in marriages that have extended over 30 years and consider mm-hmm. themselves to be not just happy, but extremely happy, mm-hmm. all married people within their same kind of social graph. Right. So people that shared their same values, people that actually had the same upbringing that they did, people that had the same relationship with their parents. You know, there were all of these similarities. And I've found with the matchmaking successes that we've had with our agency, you know, our agency has been around for six years. You know, we have I have 12 matchmakers in the agency. You know, we we serve thousands of people each year. And Mm -hmm. when we look at the successes that we get, it's typically people who are very similar. That's what I found. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. I think next time someone asks me about a mutual friend, I'm going to say less. Less is more. (laughs) Yes. And if listeners out there want to get in touch with you on the internet, how should they find you? Oh, I'm super simple. I'm at Paul C. Brunson everywhere. Thanks a lot for joining us. Paul and Christina see different sides of matchmaking. One thing that was constant throughout that was trying to find two people where their outlook on life or their values were similar. So I will think about that next time I'm convinced that two friends might be great for each other. And I'm certainly going to have to find out what happened with my friend and her hinge date with one of my exes the other night. If you have a story of matchmaking gone well or poorly, I'd love to hear about it. You can share it with me on Twitter. I'm at Lisa Bonos. And you can find more soloish content on WashingtonPost.com on a daily basis. 
If you're liking the podcast, please read us on iTunes. It will help other people find it and become listeners. And finally, this podcast is not a solo endeavor. It is produced by Pamela Kirkland with editorial guidance from Alex Lachlan and Jessica Stahl. And if you have feedback for us or have great story ideas, you can email me at lisa.bonos at washpost.com. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.